Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined as always by Dave and Becky. And on today's show, we are unfortunately putting the 2021-22 New York Rangers season to bed. Uh, A successful season altogether, but unfortunately the Rangers came up two wins short of the Stanley Cup final, six wins short of the ultimate goal. Uh, And we're going to talk about all of the emotions that came with that, the good, the bad, the ugly, Probably some stuff you've already heard too much about, but hopefully we'll cover some more ground as well. Um, Guys, we've had a few days to digest uh, the end of the Lightning series, which, you know, as as I think back on it, really kind of started to feel like it was not going to turn out our way uh, sometime during Game 4, even though the Rangers put forth a pretty good effort in Game 5. So I I wouldn't say I was shocked by the ending, but definitely uh, you're never prepared for such a special season to come to an end. Um, how is it sitting with you here a few days after um, the the Rangers were uh, unfortunately eliminated by the uh, by the Tampa Bay Lightning? I'm very proud of the team. Um, I guess like I could, you know, obviously feel some feelings of disappointment. I think it's more so kind of like the really depressing Mika and Kreider interview where it's like you just don't want it to be over. Um, I definitely feel that way. But I don't feel, like, angry. I don't feel like this was our year and we don't have, you know, I felt like everything that we were getting, like, every place that the Rangers were getting to in the playoffs felt like just, like, like a cherry on top. So we had many cherries on top, right? You know, it, it felt very, like, holy shit, like, this young team is really doing it and just – guzzling the fucking tears of the haters like mostly Pittsburgh fans who were somehow still complaining today so um I think overall like sad it's over happy it happened really looking forward to the future years um and all I'm gonna say is they better give Moth the bag Dave how about you what, what was your main emotion what's your main emotion now I guess a few days later after the series ended main emotion now in a word just happy. This team was the most fun I've had watching in a long time. More fun than the 14-15 playoff runs when the Rangers were nowhere near as good offensively. Uh, this is Obviously, we were all sad when the Rangers lost four in a row, which is a little bit of a kick to the nuts. But this is good experience. They will be back next year. They have the hardest parts to get for a championship run, which is the skill. They have the elite talent up front. They have the next wave of talent coming that really stepped up in the playoffs, mostly the kid line and Keandre Miller. I mean, the pieces are there. It's just filling in the depth pieces, which Chris Drury has shown he can do. This is a team that may not win it all next year. They may not even get as far as they did next year just because playoffs are a lot of luck but they're gonna be in the conversation for a long time and I truly hope that Penguins fans really get used to this because Mm -hmm. what a bunch of fucking babies holy shit I thought uh, even Islander fans were like what the hell are Penguins fans doing like oh my god 
Tristan Jari had a ab issue, we shouldn't take shots at him. That was my favorite thing in the entire world. Uh, like, are you fucking kidding me? It was cheap for the Rangers to take shots on that, knowing Jari had an ab issue. And they were definitely, definitely just shooting directly for his stomach. Because, like, when you're shooting on net, when you have a chance to shoot on net, why would you shoot for, like, the empty part of the net when you could shoot for the goalie's stomach? Really? Are you yeah. fucking stupid? What Answer is yes. What's great to me about all that is I think a lot of that comes from, and, and I think this is a feeling – Frankly, even without the pettiness and immaturity, but it's a feeling that Ranger fans are familiar with, right? That Penguin team, that felt like their last chance. With the age of their their star players, with the contract status of Malkin and Latang, even if they do come back, with the questionable depth and you know uh, other young players, you know, look, they they did what most teams do that are successful and go on a lot of runs. They build around a core, they trade a lot of draft picks. And I think they got a sense this year that, okay, this is our chance to make a run. This is Crosby and Malkin's last you know, chance at a cup. It's the last dance. I mean, people were literally making that joke similar to the whole Chicago Bulls thing. And when it ended the way it did, they were devastated. Now, obviously, rather than own up to the fact that they just lost, that their team blew games, that they probably should have won in all fairness, uh, they decided to blame, I don't know, everything else other than their own team's execution. So that's their prerogative. I, I do think that What's interesting is, and to kind of keep it positive, the Rangers are going in the other direction. They're the ascendant team in the Metro. Uh, the same could be said from the Caps, right? The Caps got eliminated by the Panthers. I know that series went six games, but the Panthers badly outplayed them. If you look at the teams that are now going to be the class of the Eastern Conference moving forward, it's Tampa until further notice. They're playing right now in the Stanley Cup final. I think and they're, they're going to win the Stanley nothing, Cup again. By the way. It's one really? nothing. Ooh. I saw it was one nothing. Wow. Well, we'll see what happens by the end of this podcast or by the end of the series. Um, but Tampa's still in the in the in, you know the upper echelon. You got to put uh, the Canes there as well, the the Hurricanes. I think the Rangers and then Toronto. I think those are your four teams in the Metro right now that are the ascendant, uh, you know, potential contenders for the next few years. Because Boston has all sorts of question marks. They may be going to, into a rebuild. The, pan, the Penguins are old. The Caps are old. So, look, the, I understand why those fan bases are bitter about the way they lost. Um, and I would be scared shitless of the Rangers now if I were an opposing fan. With the, the talent, like you mentioned, Dave, the elite talent, and also the uh, what Drury has proven uh, over the last six months or so, which is he knows how to build depth. Now, not every move has been a home run, but especially the trade deadline was probably the most impressive trade deadline, I'll say it, since the 1994 trade deadline, which... Yes, they traded away some young stars, but they also got the depth players that delivered a cup. So, um, you know, th- th- that's why I think those fans feel that way. Um, but, you know, just to bring it back to the Rangers, emotionally, yes, always difficult to see your your season end. Um, it really was tough, too, the way even Game 6 ended because the Rangers gave us literally 21 seconds of hope which sounds like i don't know like an emo album title or a <laughs> star wars like you know like animated series or something like that but they gave us 21 seconds of hope right frank vetrano scores the, that power play goal and i was waiting all night for a goal because i thought that that would give them some jump clearly they had no legs but you know maybe a goal gives you a little bit of adrenaline and your legs start moving a little bit especially that late in the game obviously we know steven samko scores 21 seconds later and that's that's the end of your season. But um, all in all, I, I think this was, without a doubt, the most fun Ranger team ever to watch throughout the season. 
Um, and it was a team that genuinely liked each other. And I know, you know, we joke about that and the vibes for 60 and all that. And, and that stuff was, was fun and heartwarming, but it was also a real factor as to how this team got as far as it did. So here's my big question for you guys. Even if a majority of the team is back, I think it's fair to say the Rangers can't uh, sustain themselves on vibes alone moving forward. So what is the biggest improvement? What, what do you want to see them add to this team? What do you want to see them do better next year that, you know, even in the early stages of the season, right, November, December, we know that that's not always an indication of what things will look like in the spring. But what do you want to see this offseason going into next season, big picture, uh, to make you believe that the Rangers are going to take that next step, can get back to the Final Four, can get into a Stanley Cup Final? Dave, what, what do you think? So everyone's uh, I feel like everyone's going to focus too much on roster construction when we get into the offseason. When we get into specifically November, December, I want to see the Rangers get better than a 45% shot share team. They only need to be 48% to really skate with and be a team that can make a run in the playoffs because of that talent, because of Shesterkin. But you give yourself a better shot if you're 52-53%. And we saw what... what Anthony Sorelli's line did to Mika Zibanejad, they it wasn't about shutting Zibanejad down in the uh, in the defensive zone. Sorelli's line had the puck in the offensive zone the entire time Zibanejad was yes. on the ice. So if you can do that, and I'm not talking about just a specific line, a shutdown line. If the entire team is capable of pinning. The opponent in the offensive zone, in the defensive zone, sorry, for two, three minutes at a time, they're going to be an incredibly difficult out. But they need to be able to do it. They need the buy in on the system and they need the right players and the right conditioning to be able to do that. Yeah, Becky, how about you? What are you seeing or what do you want to see from a big picture standpoint them get better at? Because there's always room for improvement. I don't know how to really like quantify this, but. I would say, like, get them into more of a, (laughs) this is going to sound terrible, but, like, become an apex predator. Like, step on their fucking throats when you can. Um, In retrospect, I kind of wish that they had rested. So this is going to kind of go against what what I said, but once they got in the playoffs, I kind of wish they had rested some of their starters because we know Cop got hurt. Um... We know now Lingering got hurt in the last game of the season. You know, like, I would have wanted to see that. But when you have the opportunity to fucking kill, like, you need to kill. They didn't do it with the Lightning. They gave them too many chances in game three. And as fun as it is to say, like, they're the comeback kids and they're, like, you know, it was really especially fun. Again, I'm really feasting on Penguin fan tears today. But, like, to know that they were down three to one and the Penguins had all these opportunities to shut them down and they still beat the Penguins. Like that's fun. That's great. But you don't want that to be everything. I feel like going to game seven is in their DNA and I would love for it to like get out of the DNA. Like I would like for it to be like selectively whatever out of the DNA. Um, I don't think that that's something that you can necessarily quantify. You know, maybe you need a veteran presence um, who hasn't been like Zibanejad and Kreider were on the team forever. I guess Truba might be that, but 
um, I, I don't I don't know how you would go about doing that. Just maybe it's a mindset thing. I don't know. But yeah, well, it's a good point. Resiliency is a great quality to have. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I agree with you. You can't go to that well every single series. And even in the Penguin series, every single game. I mean, they they not only were down in games, they were down multiple goals in each of those games. So they expended a lot of energy just to get through the first round. Now, look, the way the NHL is constructed, you're probably going to be playing a rival or a divisional opponent in the first round. Even if you finish first, you're probably not, with the best record in the in the conference, you're probably, or you may not get the eighth seed, right? You may get the fifth or sixth seed, depending on how your division shakes out. If you're in a meat grinder of a division, you're probably going to face a really good team that knows you really well in the first round. So it, it becomes a war of attrition either way. But I think both of the things you guys said are interconnected. I think if you're a good possession team and a good defensive team, then you have a little bit more of an ability to get through a, a series in less than six games. I think that's the key, right? Because, you know, when you when you use the term long series, to me that means six or seven, right? Four or five is a short series. And the Rangers haven't played a five-game series since 2015, I think, when they beat the Penguins in five. And they've been in the play. Obviously, they're out of the playoffs for a few years. But the year after that, it took them six to beat Montreal. Then, obviously, they get back this year, and it took them seven, seven, and six. So um, that's a huge thing to me, too. Becky, I just think that, like, you look at the teams that make the Stanley Cup final and, and ultimately win the Cup. I think there's a couple teams that played three game sevens. I know the LA Kings that beat the Rangers are one of them, but um, that is not typical, and you're not giving yourself a very good chance to go all the way if you play a really long series. So, um, and, and yeah, like, from a stylistic point, Dave, I agree with you 100%. I think there's a there's a bit of... it's 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 a bit of both, right? It's You do need a true shutdown line and the Rangers didn't have that. They tried to sort of like, you know, I think Miko was partially playing a shutdown role, especially when he was playing against the likes of Crosby in the first round, not doing a very good job granted, but, um, and, and, you know, he, he was usually matched up against the other team's best line one way or another. Right. So there's kind of a shutdown element there, but the Rangers just don't have that Sorelli line. They don't have that Jordan stall line, that stall and Niederreiter and Foss line, which gave the Rangers fits in the second round. So, I would like to see them construct a line like that. And I think that that comes down to what center they bring in, whether that's bringing back Andrew Kopp or whether that's going into the free agent or trade market. Um, and it also, I think, is about slotting their younger players into the right role. So that brings me to Capo Caco. Let's talk about that briefly. Um, first of all, what are your thoughts on, Becky, I'll start with you, the scratch and then how the Rangers handled the scratch? Because I know this has been kind of a, a bit of a uh, an overly discussed talking point over the last three days, but I, I do think I want to talk about it a little bit here. So the scratch was stupid. There's no two ways about it. Um, I don't think that uh, – I don't think Kako makes them win that game, okay? So I'm just going to say that. But I also think it was really fucking stupid because they knew that Strom was, like, at 50%. It was a pelvic injury. Um you kind of need your pelvis to skate, like you need your hips to skate. Yeah, just a little bit. Just slightly. I don't know. Um, never played the game, but <laughs> I think that was really dumb. I know you have a, an interesting theory on why they played him, so I'll let you kind of take that um, away. But 
at the end of the day, do I think Capo Caco playing in that game would have made them win the game? No. I love Caco. I think he's shown a lot of growth. I think he's going to be great. And I think he's going to be a great New York Ranger. I just want to throw that out there. Um, but I don't – he's not like – like Panarin, who despite his struggles in the postseason – is the kind of player that could just give the other team absolute fits, can go on an offensive outburst and, you know, have a hat trick and, like, no problem. So, stupid decision. I don't mind that Gallant didn't want to talk about it initially. I do mind that he didn't want to talk about it afterwards, um, you know, on breakup day. I think his answer was kind of stupid. I think a lot of people threw the, he didn't even talk to Kako, like, out of fucking proportion. A a lot of people are like, well, he's not going to play for the New York Rangers. And in my head, I'm like, I don't think that's true. I could be wrong, but I really would be very, very surprised. I feel like people right now have this fascination with, and I I promise these are connected, but, like, with what happened with Kravtsov, right? We've talked about that ad nauseum here, too. But I feel like people now have this idea that, like, the New York Rangers are a team that, like, players don't want to play for. And I think that's a really ridiculous way to think, especially when we got our Artemi Panarin for less money than the New York Islanders. So I, I just – I think it – I think people were very – I'm really rambling here. I'm sorry. But I think people were very emotional, and so they had a very emotional response, and especially because it was – a big change that happened in the game in which they were eliminated. But I think that when the dust settles the next season, it's not going to be a big deal. Dave, what were your thoughts on, on both those things? Again, the scratch and then how it was handled in the immediate aftermath. And then even a couple of days later on breakup day. So the scratch was dumb. I, I don't think anybody's going to say, Oh, that was a good idea. No, but no one would say, I agree. No one's going to say that. And I'm not. I'm still trying to figure out if the scratch was because Strom was quote unquote ready to play, which is which was a load of shit, or if it was because he really thought Dryden Hunt gave the Rangers a better shot at winning. Either one's a dumb answer. So, Gallant Galaxy brained it. It's a learning experience for him. It's a learning experience for everybody. I forgot who posted this today on Twitter, but it was about top expected goals players in the playoffs, and two of the top five were Kaka and Heedle. Mm-hmm. I think Heedle was number two and Kaka was number four, something to that effect. I saw that. I think I want to say like ineffective math, but I might be wrong. Might be evolving hockey. I, I don't remember. All right, uh, we'll have to check that again. But they were in the top five and. We saw what Heedle did. Heedle was a whole different player. Kako, while he may not have the points, was a driver and a catalyst on that line. And we've seen him be comfortable behind the net and just create space along the boards behind the net. He is... uh, He is a guy that is going to make it easier on the other two guys on his line. He's going to be the guy that can literally just draw all the attention away. And if he's able to make those passes the way he did to Heedle, the one from behind the net, and I know you guys know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. He's, he's going to wind up with 100 assists. I'm obviously exaggerating. But 
I have no worries about Kako as a ranger. I have no worries about Kravtsov as a ranger. Yeah, what a turnaround that is, huh? Yeah. That was, that was quick. But it seems like the Rangers have mended fences there. And I think, you know, look, you talk about learning experiences. And that's such a great point. And it really summarizes this whole season so beautifully, right? And I remember thinking, and I was dead wrong at the time, but even during Game 1 in Pittsburgh, uh, of the Pittsburgh series, Game 1 of the playoffs, how it went to triple overtime, <clears throat> that game had a little bit of everything, if you remember. It seems like two years ago now. But... Rangers came out flying, hit the hell out of Pittsburgh in the first period, had the lead. It had a controversial call that went against them, as it would for the remainder of the series. It had overtime. You know, it had it had so many elements. And I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, this team, like, all these young kids are getting a great taste of playoff hockey right now. And, and obviously they needed to go through a lot more experience. But the point was, that was almost like the whole playoffs in a nutshell, that one game, right? It was grueling. It was long. It was a war of attrition. It had weird bounces. It had calls going against you. It had, you know, all the momentum swings and, and th- things that come with playoff hockey. Again, it took the Rangers three more games to actually wake up in that series and, and start playing better and eventually win it. But um, I think you can almost take that up another level. And organizationally, this whole season, this whole playoff run was a, a learning experience for the Rangers. Like you said, Dave, hopefully Gerard Gallant, obviously an older guy who's been through it a bunch of times as a player and a coach, but hopefully he learns from the, the Kako mistake, which was a mistake. Hopefully Chris Drury learned from the Vitaly Kravtsov situation, and he learned from the Buchnevich trade. Um, and, and it seems like he has, given the way he's handled th- things since then. You obviously hope the players have learned individual lessons and they know what they need to work on now going into next season. But, you know, the, the, I think the larger point is, you know, this team has the pieces to contend for many years to come. Um, Becky, the point that I I do want to also just jump back to uh, what you alluded to earlier. I have a little bit of a theory on why Gallant decided to play Strom, and and that was really the reason he scratched Kako. And it was because I think there's a sense in the room, and there was obviously a, a knowledge among Gallant, even though he'd never admitted that, that was very likely to be Ryan Strom's last chance to play for the Rangers. Um, I think Gallant knew going into that game his team didn't have any juice and that they were probably going to get killed. And, and really, if you look at the scoring chances, they should have lost 5 or 6-1. Um, and I think he obviously is aware of Ryan Strom's contract situation. So um, I think he felt that here's a guy who's a veteran who's put in four years with this organization, three of which uh, were rebuilding tough years with David Quinn as coach and Tony D'Angelo prancing around the locker room. The guy's been through a lot of shit. Now, so is Capo Caco, to be fair. I'm not, you know, but this is how these coaches and this is how these organizations often make these decisions, right? They will prioritize the veteran. They will prioritize the guy who's in a quote-unquote leadership role. Strom wore an A. I forget if it was home or on the road or on days that end in Y. I don't know. But... Um, <laughs> I think that's why he played him. I think he definitely leaned into this is a guy that deserves one last chance if this is it to play for the Rangers. So um, because I don't think he's back. And again, I, I don't think it makes sense on this podcast to uh, dive in too much to the Strom versus Cop versus whoever else situation. I think we can save that for you know future shows during the summer and after free agency kind of comes around in a month. But um, I think that's why he went with Strom. You know, and, and look in the. Uh, in the immediate aftermath of learning that he didn't talk to Kako, I was upset at that because I just think that that's weird. But that's also kind of standard operating procedure around the NHL. I think a lot of coaches just 
they don't go in the room until two minutes before the game starts when they read the lineup. And they basically say, all right, remember these two things, right? You've seen all these behind-the-scenes video that, videos that the NHL posts. It's There's never really any uh, fiery speech from any of these coaches. It's more of just like a, hey, work hard, pucks to the net. Like, it's really nothing, nothing too deep. So um, I think, you know, I, I think it was reassuring to hear on Tuesday, uh, sorry, Wednesday, that Drury had a long and positive conversation with Kako in his exit his exit interview. Um, bear in mind that that's not something that always happens. And I'm thinking about the team across the hall. The New York Knicks had Kristaps Porzingis coming off an injury. Kristaps Porzingis skipped his exit interview, and that's what led to the trade that happened uh, later uh, that year or the next season. So these things don't always happen. And you know, some people kind of take this stuff for granted. If Kako was really that pissed, he might have skipped his exit interview. Or Chris Drury might have said in his press conference, I don't want to comment on that situation right now. You know, we'll, we'll work with Capo's agent on a new contract. And he was very deliberate to point out, like, no, we're, we're happy with where he's at. We think he's a world-class player, an all-world player. I forget what he said. Um, and last thing, and then I'll stop talking because I want to get your guys' reaction on this. I was talking about shutdown lines and possession players. I think Kako's best role moving forward is on a shutdown line. Because I don't think he's ever going to be a huge scorer or a bit, even a big-time playmaker, even though, Dave, you alluded to his possession and, and passing skills. He just seems like the perfect player. If the Rangers had a proper defensive middle six center, that could just, like like we were saying earlier, completely own the puck against the other team's best line. I mean, that, that and, and that's why what made the, the scratch all, that, all the more questionable was that Kako was the one guy that could actually keep the puck away from Tampa when they pretty much had the puck the rest of the time. So... Um, well, yeah, one other ahead. thing too, they they you alluded to like right you or you you spoke about how they didn't really talk to Kako, but Vince Marcogliano was tweeting in the middle of the day when they had their skate that like Kako was out there afterwards. So I tend yeah. to believe that he had an inkling that he was going to be scratched that night. I'm he just did. like you're absolutely right. It doesn't make it better. Like I don't. I think if I were being scratched, I would like want someone to tell me about it. But like then again, maybe he was told about it, and it just wasn't like a. Uh, okay, the final decision has been made, and you are now scratched. And that was given more than five minutes before the lineup. You know, like I, I think it's really, really like searching for a lot of things to be upset about, which is fine. But you know, that's just it. Just doesn't strike me as something that I'm really concerned about. And I agree with you about the shutdown role. Um, but he is a good playmaker. The numbers, you know, I, I, I think. The point is that he has the opportunity to be a really good two-way player, which is great. And that's that's great. That's what you want from young talent that you have that is controlled right now. They need those, too. I mean, they, they have a lot of offensive talent. You know, they have guys who are great creators and scorers. But, you know, they, some of them do lack in the two-way department. Artemi Panarin's a prime example. Um, you know, uh, I think... Jacob Truba is another example. Even though he's seen as like a shutdown guy, he always thrives with a more defensive-minded partner, which makes it all the better that Keandre Miller looks like he's going to be a really good shot and chance suppression uh, defenseman. Can we so. discuss like Keandre Miller, his performance? Like, can yes. we do like superlatives do that. or who just stunned in the playoffs? I'm sorry, I great idea. Cut Dave off, but I was just going to no, comment you go, you go on the not so much the Kako comments. Just the way everybody immediately went to, Kako's going to get all frustrated. Oh like, my god. <laughs> calm the fuck down, people. Calm the fuck down. I have to make sure I'm not going to wake the kid up. Calm the fuck down. Seriously. 
it's one game. Obviously, the exit interview from uh, with Kako went well. Obviously, nobody's really a big fan of what Gallant said, but he doesn't really play nice with the media, that we know. Breathe. Teams that were going to offer sheet Kako were going to offer sheet him regardless of whether or not he played in Game 6. The Rangers yes. do have a cap concern for not next season, but the year after if they get Kako at more than, I think it was $2 million. So if Kako is at a, I think the cutoff is $4.2 million before you get into first and third round pick compensation. So if somebody signs him five years, $20 million, A, I don't think Kako does that because that's leaving a lot of money on the table should he be able to put up points or should he develop himself as a premier shutdown player. And B, what team is going to take a risk on $4 million a year for a guy who has, what, I think Robbie said he was .38 points per game. And yeah, he's got has, 58 He's never played more than 60 games, games in a season. I mean, GMs are aware, they're aware of his potential, obviously, but let's back off the ledge. Let's stop going to worst-case scenario whenever something happens with this team. Take a breath, smoke yeah. some weed. It's legal in New York now. Just breathe. Just, just take a walk. That works. Whatever too. works for you. Take a shot. Take a hit. Take a walk. Punch a wall. Oh yeah. I don't care. Well, but also, not the, everything is the end of the fucking world. Totally. And well, there. Yes, but also, these things are very rarely beyond repair, and that's been shown to be the case with. The Kravtsov situation because, you know, Drury seems to have mended fences with Kravtsov and his agent. Apparently they were talking all year. I think they were considering trying to bring him back for the playoffs. Maybe if the deadline didn't go as well as it did, they would have actually done that because he had a good season in Russia. He had a great playoffs for Tractor. I think he like led them in scoring. He was um, the only offensive player on Tractor. He carried that team. Yeah. So, and that's in the second best league in the world. And I know a lot of people here don't really care about that, but like, you know, I'm, I'm a soccer fan, and when you start evaluating players, you look at which league they played in, right? There are guys, if a guy comes from Sweden, it's different from, than if he comes from Spain or if he comes from Italy, right? Like Spain, Italy, England, those are the best three leagues in the world. They're very comparable in terms of their, you know, uh, talent level and the, the, the level of competition. Then you have, like, tiers below that. I mean, if you obviously the NHL is the undisputed best league in the world. The KHL is the second best league in the world, and it's not close. And I think there probably are some... KHL teams that could beat NHL teams. You know, if you're talking about the bottom, you know, five or six teams in the league, you know, playing a, playing against a good KHL team. So for 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 uh, Kravtsov to have done that in the playoffs for a pretty weak team tells you about his potential in the NHL. He still has to fulfill that. He's got to come here with the right attitude. And we know now that this is a locker room that's very tight that will not accept rogue behavior. And, and, and hopefully we'll get him in line. But... Um, no, it's a great point. And the other thing is, you know, I just think that you're right. There's just no reason to jump to the worst case scenario with this stuff. And, you know, the Rangers do deserve um, a little bit of, of, of the benefit of the doubt now, given given the success they had this season. Um, I love Becky's idea about superlatives, though, so I want to do that before we get to the questions. So, Becky, you start at, you were you were going to start with Keandre Miller, but let's, let's just give out – I know we don't have, like, you know – 
I mean, I guess we could do whatever we want, right? Superlatives in the high school yearbook are like best hair, most likely to be successful. But what do we want to say? What, what is your superlative for, uh, for the 2022 Rangers? Uh, uh, for the whole team, most likely to succeed. Well, you pick, picking a guy, for right? The most, I mean, for the whole team, I think they're most likely to succeed. I think Class Clown is definitely Lafreniere. Um, definitely. I love him so much. I want them to lock him up forever. Lock him, lock him up to a contract, not like Hillary Clinton. Lock her up, like like to a contract. Oh, speaking um, of that, most likely to be president, Ryan Reeves. Oh, I love. Yeah, that too. love that definitely. Um. Uh, let's see who else. What were you gonna say about Keandre before? Well, I was I meant like superlatives, not necessarily in like the high school yearbook kind of way, but I guess that is what it means. So I need to learn how to use the correct word. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think like maybe just like who are you most impressed by, right? Like Keandre right. Miller was impressive. The kids were all impressive. Like Lafreniere and Heedle and Kaka were all impressive. I think Savannah Jab was really impressive after like game five of the pit or like after game four of the pit series. Um can I just call all three of us out on Keandre Miller? Because I remember early when we were doing the pod, I want to say November, we were all wondering what his future was and if he was going to be a trade chip, if there was room for him and Zach Jones. I remember this vividly, and all three of us were like, I don't know where Keandre Miller fits in. And yeah, we're all wrong on that. Yeah. He, something clicked. In February with him, I, and I think it was you know right around that they had that two week break, which was supposed to be the Olympics, and then it got all moved around because of COVID and all that. But they came back from that break, and I think they lost in a shootout, and then they beat the Bruins in a shootout, kind of those first two games back. And that Bruins game was the one where he scored the shootout winner, which made some ridiculous move, and and you know obviously got the game winner. But that whole game, he was just, I, you know, I. I don't remember it well enough to say, well, he was the best player on the ice, and that maybe not, maybe wouldn't be true if I said that. But he stood out from that point on as one of the Rangers' five best players the whole the rest of the season. I mean, he was a force, and I think he was a little bit shaky early in the playoffs, as were a lot of the young players, as you'd expect. But right around when things started to turn around, when the team sort of had it click in Game Five, um, he became an absolute monster, and. Whether or not him and Jacob Truba are a thing moving forward, and you know, there's plenty of speculation about Truba's short and long-term future with the Rangers based on the contract, based on a whole lots, lot of other factors. But you know what? I'll be honest with you. I know Truba's got his – there's some warts there to his game. If you told me that their top four was Fox, Lingren, Truba, and Miller for the next three, four, five seasons, like I wouldn't complain about that because – You know, I just watched Tampa do what they did with, you know, Victor Hedman, who is a great defenseman in the prime of his career. But then you got Ryan McDonough, who's aging. You got Jan Ruda, who's unimpressive. You got Sergachev, who did nothing until he scored those two goals in game five. I mean, give me the Rangers young talent potential over that. And that's obviously a championship winning defense core. But but I would bet on that upside seven days a week and twice on Sunday. So I feel great about where they are as a defense core. But back to that point, I still think they need to get better at shutting the other team down as a team because ESPN put the stat up, and you know here's another superlative thing. Obviously, Igor is the czar; he's the king of the king of the mountain, right? Because they they didn't they don't get where they are they they did this year without him. 
But they put the stat up in the middle of game six that he made at some point during that game his 700th save of the playoffs. I'll tell you right now, that cannot happen again. He cannot be asked to make 35-plus saves per game over the course of 20-plus playoff games. It will not work. They will not win. It will be Hank all over again. And I don't want to take this discussion there because I think we can all agree that the vibes are completely different, that the team is much more in a much better place now than it was during the Hank years to try and win a cup. But you cannot ask your goalie to do all that work. It is not sustainable. It doesn't work. I'm not even talking about this from an analytics perspective. You simply cannot ask him to face the volume and quality he faced every single night, pretty much. I mean, did the Rangers have any games where they, like, really shut the other team down and, like, only allowed? Maybe a couple of the games in the Carolina series, they they really turned it on and played pretty well. But it was pretty much an onslaught for the entire Pittsburgh series and most of the Tampa series. Um, With the Carolina series, it was a little bit more volume and a little bit less um, quality. But... um, my kingdom for, you know, basically not, not what Tampa does for Vasilevsky, but um, a little bit more structure and more solid team play around him so that he's not forced to make 40 saves a night. Yeah, I mean, it's very, like, DeGrom vibes. <laughs> Oof. Very yes. Vibes. Oof. Ooh, I right. barely watch baseball like, anymore, but I got that one. Yeah. Like eight innings, two hits, one unearned run, and you lose the game yeah. because the team can't And score. then, like, yeah. some jerk off on, like, social media or some like baseball writer who has a vote is like I'm not voting for him for Cy Young because he didn't have a 20 wins and you're just like I'm going to throw you out a window um, but that's neither here nor there yeah so. you can't have just even in the regular season when he was posting like uh, like over 100% save percentage in <laughs> November and December or October and November whenever the hell that was where he was just out of his mind you can't have that. You can't. It's the quantity and the quality. I know that the Rangers are a team that doesn't necessarily mind keeping teams to the outside. And I have no problem with, you know, 100 shot attempts if 70 of them are from the outside, whatever. But you can't have them make 35 saves a game. You know, if you can, you have to get that down. I don't know how, but you have to get that down. Well, and I think that that's the depth that you talked about earlier, Dave, right? The, the elite talent is there. We know that. They're not going to have a problem scoring a lot of goals, uh, you know, and, and converting on even limited scoring chances and especially power plays. But, well, they also need to score at even strength, which is a huge yes, fucking problem. Yeah. No, no no doubt. That's true. But that, 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 I think, again, comes from depth and it comes from better overall team play. So, look, I think, you know, Gallant's original Vegas teams, I remember looking at this earlier in the year. The, his first year, they were about 50% in terms of Corsi and expected goals. It was that second season that they really became a juggernaut, that they were like second in the league, I think. They were like up in the mid-50s in terms of Corsi and the and expected goals. So, look, I don't think the Rangers will get there. It's just not how they're constructed and how they build teams. Um, but And I don't think Gallant's ever going to teach them or, or coach them to shoot from everywhere, which I think the Vegas teams were a little bit more uh, like that. But I do think that um, they they have a chance to be a, a little bit closer to that 50% mark, which with their talent and goaltending, it would be more than enough. So, um, no, I was going to say just in terms of, you know, guys that sit out in the playoffs. I mean, it sounds silly to say it, but – and he looked gassed at times. And this – you know, this is a conditioning thing. This is also just a function of playing too many long series. But Adam Fox also just had had plenty of moments where – I know we've said it in the regular season, but it really popped in the playoffs like – he really did look like 
modern day Brian Leach. I mean, he was controlling the game, dominating both ends of the ice. Uh, I mean, to me, and it really, really was kind of the high watermark of the uh, of the Eastern Conference Final. But that hesitation and then pass to Kako for Kako's goal in Game Two was, uh, I'm speechless thinking about it. I'm getting chills thinking about it. It's one of the most significant and also most beautiful and most genius goals ever scored by a Ranger team, and that was all Fox. And that, you know, you see those things happen, and you know he can do it because he's won a Norris Trophy. I, I mean. It's just, uh, he was, uh, you know, it was between him and Mika for best overall player for me, best overall skater for, for the Rangers. But, I mean, Fox was just incredible. So he, he's my, um, you know, standout from the, uh, from the playoff run here. Dave, do you have one? <sighs> Becky, go first. Well, she said Keandre. Oh. She said Keandre. Right, 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 right. Oh, I'm sorry. So... And you can't say Shesterkin. No, I mean, I although that last game six was a fucking masterclass, man. That was that was insane. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, technically, I already went with most likely to be president, which was Reeves. <laughs> That's good. But I'll do something different, and most likely to improve. And I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth. Panarin. Hmm. It, it's amazing how we're all there are very few people at least on Rangers Twitter that said oh Panarin looks amazing we all thought something was off with Panarin all year despite yeah. the 96 points and a career high in assists we all thought something was off he was deferring too much he wasn't taking over games and this was very evident in the playoffs there was something off, and I don't know what if, if it was fatigue, if it was personal, if, I don't know, he, he blew out his ankle and didn't tell anybody, but we would have found out by now. Something was off, and Panarin may not have 96 points next year, which is fine, but we do need him to start taking over games. He's making $11.6 million. He needs to start taking over games. And I think that will happen next year. I think that's a great shout. And I, I'm really glad you kind of brought that up, Dave, because I think I was confining my thoughts to the playoffs with Panarin. And it's easy to forget that. And I talking about you know us doing this podcast back in the fall of 2021. We were talking about he just doesn't look right. He he looked off. He looked slow. His passes were all getting knocked down. You know, he makes those great diagonal breakout passes and passes that, you know, lead to controlled zone entries. Those, those were getting blocked. He, he was fanning on them. He was a mess in the early part of the season. He put it together in the middle part of the season. And, and then I know they didn't mention an injury, but I think he got hurt sometime late in the season. He did miss a game, if I remember correctly. So there was something there. Um Pop got hurt as well, and they didn't mention an injury there. But but I, I'm pretty sure he got hurt. I know he got hurt in that Islander game. And then uh, they brought him back too soon, and he missed another couple of games down the stretch. So there were little, you know, nothing major. Obviously, that will require surgery, but there were little injuries there for those guys. But um, it's a great call on Panarin. And, and he did not have, for a guy who scored 96 points, he did not have a standout year, which is kind of weird to say. But um, you're right. If, if, if he comes back next year and they get Hart Trophy finalist version of Artemi Panarin, then you've got 
then I think the Rangers are the prohibitive favorite. I'll say it right now to, to, to make it out of the East. If you get that version of Artemi Panarin and they upgrade this team and the kids take another step and they still have the goaltending, which seems like it's going to be a lock, watch out because that seems like a pretty damn good hockey yeah. team. So, you know, it's funny because I'm looking at his contract and his points. It was 22 goals, 74 assists. By far his <laughs> career high in assists. 96 points and another career high. But he was 93 points during the COVID shutdown year. So we don't Jesus know what he would have done. Yeah, 69 games, 93 points. Nice. But uh, um, something, Rob, you said, I'm not sure if this was public on Twitter or this was just in the DM group with the rest of the Blue Seat Blogs folks. There's something about the 23-24 season that is a milestone marker. A lot of guys are seeing contracts, clauses, and I think Lindgren is up after that year. Um, Truba's no move ends. Um, yeah, Lindgren is up after that year. So an interesting part about Panarin's contract, and this is only if Panarin really is starting to slow down, which is a possibility, Panarin, after the 23-24 season, his his signing bonuses drop. So this year, it's $11.5 million in signing bonuses and $1 million salary. 23-24 is $10 million. 24-25 is $9 million. And then $7 million, all one-year base salaries. So in theory, if the Rangers are looking at 23-24 as the last year before they really have to start dumping contracts. Truba's no move comes off. Goodrow is probably gone at that point. And Panarin, once they pay that bonus out, some team is getting $11.6 million in cap hit for nine million for two years, $11.6 million in cap hits for $9 million in real salary. Right. That has value to Arizona. That has value to Buffalo. That has value to a lot of teams. And I know that this is completely off topic and has nothing to do with anything we were talking about. But that's an, that's going to be an interesting offseason after the 23-24 season. Dave, I'm not saying anything's going to happen. I, really and I know don't Becky wants to punch me. <laughs> no, but well, but the thing I was saying, it was in the chat, was just, in, and I'll keep it brief because I want to get to the questions. Yeah. But yeah. it was basically that. The Rangers can make two more really good runs with this core of players. And by this core, I mean Kreider, Panarin, Zibanejad, um, Truba, those four guys. Once you get through the next two seasons, you're talking about, just very broadly speaking, age comes into play with a lot of those players and, uh, and as do some of those contract clauses. So I think what the Rangers are doing is they're setting themselves up to still be contenders after that. I don't think we're looking at another you know five years without the playoffs, but actually the opposite, right? You have Lafreniere, Kako, Hedl, uh, potentially Brandon Othman, potentially you know who all these other Kraftsov, if he right Zach Jones, you've all these other guys that'll be waiting in the wings, literally by the way, or that's a, not a pun, but could be a pun because there's a lot of wingers here, right? We talk about the winger logjam all the time, but you have these guys waiting in the wings to take over for that group, right? So this group gets with those veteran leaders two more really good shots at a Stanley Cup on a very very good team, as we've just detailed for the last 45 minutes, and then you have the sustainability plan behind it, which is. The young kids are ready to take over. The top six roles will be available. And the Rangers can create salary cap space to maybe refresh the team but keep it um, keep it competitive. Because that's honestly, it's the way the Lightning did it. The Lightning, this version of the Lightning, 
Uh, and I, I don't know if we're going to talk about them very much, and we don't have to, obviously, because it's a Rangers podcast, but I just briefly want to say that I, my hatred for them is waned, and I've grow, definitely uh, you know, developed a lot of respect for them over the last, you know, especially few weeks here. But they've been doing this since 2014 with John Cooper, 2015, right? They made the Stanley Cup final that year. Then they didn't get back until 2020. So they went five years and a lot of heartache with a lot of the same players, but then they refreshed the core and brought along some draft picks, right? So that's exactly what the Rangers are going to try and do uh, with this version of the team. I hope they win it within the next two years. I think especially, you know, you saw how deeply and emotionally Kreider and Zibanejad, all these guys poured themselves into this, and I think they'll continue to do that. They deserve a championship, you know, the way that Hank deserved one. Igor deserves a championship with those guys. Artemi Panarin, all these guys deserve it. They, they've, they've proven that. So I hope they do it. Uh, and they'll have, as, they'll have as good a chance as anybody. But, um, yeah, anyway, I think that's – I kind of just want to leave it at that because we do have a few questions before we uh, close this out. Yep. All right. So let's get to those. Um, so I think we already kind of answered this. Anthony Kakioli at Kakioli – I really hope I'm pr- – pronouncing this right at calculate 25 have you ever seen a rangers team as likable as this team was it feels like everyone loved being around each other and they all cared for one another i think we kind of talked about this already um just like the most fun team to watch and they're like we joke oh the friendship per 60 the vibes per 60 like all that stuff it's true. Like, this team seemed to, like, lift each other up and, like, really love one another. I mean, even their post-game pressers were always hilarious. They would always have each other. And, like, it wasn't just Mika and Kreider, even though those two, like, I swear to God, are in love. Um, it was just a great team to watch. I think we kind of talked about it, but if anyone else kind of wants to answer that. Well, all I mean, I think it was. I think it was the easiest Ranger team to root for ever. At least in you know in the modern area that there the time that you know I've been watching that we've collectively been watching, um, but I think that that matters too. And I, we said it all year. I mean, you can joke about vibes for sixty and how that's not a real thing, but that shit comes into play when you're down three one in a series because everybody looks around the room and and, they, and as much of a, of a cliche as it is, they all think to themselves. I don't want this to end. I'm going to play my ass off tonight for the guys in this room. And I think that that came to fruition throughout the whole season. Um, and, and also, you know, I think the, the way the rebuild unfolded helped build that connection. These guys went through some difficult times. They had to get a lot of the crap out of the locker room, which we talked about a lot on this podcast. But Tony D'Angelo, Brendan Lemieux, there are probably some other guys that we're forgetting here. But they, 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 they identified not just the skill sets they needed, but the character they needed. And obviously you can't overrate the character because the skill and talent should trump all. But look, the Rangers were not worse off even though they lost a very good player in Tony D'Angelo, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, I think it was a net positive that they got rid of him, even though they lost a guy who had a 53 points in that COVID year. Dave, that's a number that, you know, I always, for some reason, remember. He had something like, I think he had 53 points in 69 games, which is an astronomical number for yeah, a defense. He's but very good at what he does. He's amazing. The guy's yeah. a great hockey player, but he's a huge asshole, and he kills the vibe. I think there's no other way to say it. So, yes, most fun, most tightly knit Ranger team we've ever seen, and it, and it, hopefully that remains the case moving forward because it, it definitely helps. All right. Um, okay, so next question comes from, well, I have one really fun question that's going to finish it. Um, 
Kevin at Spazo211 asks, what unpopular move happens this offseason? He actually has two questions. Mm. So that's a unpopular move. Catnip for Dave right there. He yeah. loves this. Oh, you dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> unpopular move that happens this summer. Oh, God. Can I cheat oh. and do next summer, or does it have to be this summer? No, you have no, to be this be. summer. God damn it. All right. Here, let me say something. I'll go I'll go easy here, and I'll give you 30 seconds to think about this. Yeah, because i got to look. They're going to draft some big, slow defenseman, and everybody's going to flip a shit. That's what's going to happen. They're in the fourth round. I think they have a fourth-round pick. I think they've got like a second, a fourth, a sixth, and a seventh, if I remember correctly. In the fourth round, they're going to draft some six-foot-five slow-footed defenseman from Windsor, Ontario, and everybody's going to be like, this guy is off every draft board. What are they doing? This organization is clueless, and I'm going to just laugh because it's not going to matter. That's going to be the unpopular move for this summer. I hope that gave you enough time, Dave. Guys, there's big fights right now in the... Uh... Yeah. Already. Already, Is it still 2-0? Wow. Well, someone threw no, it's 3-1 hit. now. Someone threw a big hit. Uh, <coughs> Avalanche threw a big hit. Like, And from my angle... So just for the record, I'm blind as a fucking bat, and I'm not wearing my glasses. Um, and I'm also at like a 60 degree. I don't know. I can't do. No, like a 20 degree angle. It doesn't matter. I'm at a bad angle. But it looks like a big hit. I can't tell if it was cheap or not, but it looked pretty clean from what I could see. And I'm guessing no one's going to say anything because it wasn't Jacob Truba throwing it. So. Anyway. Um, yep. All right, that gave me enough time. I'm going to give you two unpopular things that are going to happen. The first is just because we all know what's going to happen. The Rangers are going to re-sign Greg McKegg. Yes, definitely. And the second, the Rangers are not going to re-sign any of their trade deadline acquisitions. I can see, I can see that. I can I, see Tyler that Mott... Tyler Mott is expected to get four years, two point nine million. Goodbye, Ryan Strom expected to get seven years, seven million. Get the fuck out, Justin, <laughs> Justin Braun. I see entourage in my head right now. Get the fuck out. <laughs> when Ari Gold winds up and delivers, yes. get the yes. fuck out. <laughs> yes, iconic. Um, Justin Braun, one year, one point four million. Don't have the cap space. Sorry, bye. Uh, that leaves Andrew Kopp. He wouldn't be Kopp. a bad re-sign, by the way. Just throwing not a one point four million. Sorry, one, no, no, I know, but like as a in a in a world where cap space is not a real thing. <laughs> in a world where cap space a, yeah, does not exactly. exist. Exactly. Do do the like Tampa a, Bay Lightning. The, the Tampa exactly. Bay Lightning. <laughs> or try to be like Vegas and stash Stone on the IR plus, and then or I LTIR. And well, then, no, they were following Tampa's lead, the Kucherov shit. Oh, I know, I know, but well, I right, think but it's then really they funny the that they tried. And then they missed the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, and Andrew Kopp, I think it was five, uh, four years, five point six million. I think the Rangers go trade market instead. Niels Lundqvist is gone in a trade for somebody that we're not thinking about. Wait, what about Vetrano? Just because you went through all of them. Except oh, Vitrano. shit, What's I forgot Vetrano. Um, the Rangers have 900 wingers. What the fuck is Vetrano going to do other than fill the standard quota that the Rangers have of at least one Italian on the team? <laughs> they are yeah, well, and one team. guy who blocks... Kako from Top Six Ice Time. Yeah, they always have that too. And I like Vitrano. Vitrano's the only guy out of all these that actually says, "Oh, I'm going to shoot the fucking puck." 
I Can like him. If anybody, nice to, be nice to Tyler Mott. I like yeah, Tyler, I Tyler Mott, Mott, but he's not a shoot first guy. And I'm sorry, That's I'm not, not paying him. Two, not, I'm not paying him two point nine million. I, I I wish I could make two point nine million dollars, but I'm not paying him two point nine million dollars. My voice just—I can't believe that that's. I can't believe that's the contract projection for him because doesn't Jesper Faust only make like two million dollars? And I'm I'm like I can't imagine a world where Tyler Mott makes one million dollars more than in a Jesper world Faust. where Tyler Mott makes one million dollars. Seriously, like I mean, in Jesper Faust had like Tyler thirty Mott something points. He's had over, he's had over thirty points four times in his career. Jesper Faust. I mean, he's like a again I. I think there was way too much discourse around Jesper Faust when he left, but he's a really solid middle six player who can score. Uh, or bottom, I should call him a bottom six player. He's bottom a third or fourth six. liner. Yeah, bottom six. But Tyler Mott's never had more than like 12 points in his NHL career. Like, why is 16, he getting 2.9 a year? Sorry, 16. sorry. 16. And I love Tyler Mott. Yeah, I don't, I, if he played a whole season and didn't score a point, I'd still love the guy. But But I don't understand... How they're projecting him to make that money? I guess well, he turned down two million a year from Vancouver, and that's why they traded him. Wow, I oh, didn't, I know, didn't that. know that. Wow. All right, yeah. well, don't give Mott the bag. I'm gonna take away my hashtag. <laughs> yeah, um, <sighs> Mott, God damn it! It's funny because Mott is either one year nine hundred ninety thousand, or this is all by the way from Evolving Hockey's contract projections. Um, they hit about eighty percent of the time within ten percent of what they're saying. That's very good, uh, by the way. They have a great hit rate. There are some contracts that obviously are complete misses, like the Nugent Hopkins contract. Nobody expected that. So they do miss, obviously. They're not foolproof, but for me, they are the projections to go by. And they say one year, 900000 or four years, $2.9 as the two most likely to happen. Right. And one year, 900000 oh, sign me up. Four of years, two I mean, point nine million. Very... Get the fuck out. Yeah, I'm revisiting. But you I'm could definitely that. see there are teams who would give him term and and that type of money because they have a cap space and they want that type of player to set an example. You know, you could think of some teams who are in kind of like the middle or maybe late stages of a rebuild who think they might be a contender in a year or two that would overpay for Mott. You know, similar to the way the Rangers overpaid for Goodrow. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. I loved Barkley Goodrow, and I think it, it, it turned their playoff run around when he came back during the Carolina series. And that was one of the, the master strokes by Gallant with the way he brought him back and you know pretty much didn't tell anybody on the team. Um, that's what he meant to the team. And, and he's obviously an effective you know bottom six player, especially if he's on your fourth line. But that was an overpay, both in term and in years. And the Rangers overpaid for a reason. So I think people probably see Tyler Mott as a similar type player. All right. I'm not giving any hot takes because we spend a lot of time on this question. Um, Spazzo asks also, and his name's Kevin, did this team learn how to win in the playoffs but ran out of gas doing it? Or do they still have a significant hole or two that needs filled? I kind of think, like, I think, I think it's like, it's like, like 50, 50, like maybe like 40, 60. Like they did learn how to, I think that they learned a ton this playoffs I mean like these these are babies and they thrived on the big stage and that's amazing and you know they definitely there wasn't there was some adjusting that happened in the Carolina series which was great to see I think Tampa I think by the time they got to Tampa they were fucking washed like beyond washed I think maybe putting in Hunt was like a faint prayer of putting in fresh legs but at the same time like 
you have one pair of fresh legs and you know the rest of the guys are exhausted and playing with like half an ankle and like one hip you know it's not gonna it's not gonna be good um I don't know what do you guys think yeah I was gonna say it's both I think that anytime you play 20 playoff games no matter how you win if you win what they end up winning half of them yeah they went 10 and 10 amazingly in these playoffs they won four games in the first round, four in the second. Yeah, they went 10 and 10. Winning 10 playoff games is a monumentally difficult thing to do. I mean, Toronto can't win four. Just think about that. With all that talent, with all the knowledge in the front office, with all the veteran experience and leadership they brought in, they can't win four fucking playoff games. Mm-hmm. The Rangers won 10. And that's why, again, I talked about the respect I've developed for Tampa. The fact that they've won 10 or 11 series in a row now, whatever it is, is is an incredible accomplishment, especially in the cap era. So did the Rangers learn to win? Absolutely. Do they have holes to fill? Definitely. I mean, I think we talked about it a little bit earlier, but whatever you want to, however you want to slice it and however Chris Jury, you know, wants to sit down and go, go through it with his front office, they've got to be able to better shut teams down, whether that means more puck possession and, and you know, more shot attempts, more offensive zone time whether that means just a straight-up defensive center who can put the other team's top line in jail the way, uh, you know, Anthony Sorelli can. And again, I know that comes with creating offense and spending time in the offensive zone, but still, that you know, that line has a specific role that it fulfills, right? Um, they need that element. They just do not have that element, right? They had two scoring lines and then the kid line and then a fourth line that was basically an amalgamation of the rest of the available players. Um, they need, and they talked about defined roles being a big part of the picture last offseason. They need to drill down one level deeper with that this offseason. They have to find a shutdown mix of players that they can put on the ice against Steven Samkos, against uh, Aho and Svechnikov, even though fuck Svechnikov, he didn't do anything anyway. <laughs> um, but against, uh, against Sidney Crosby, because Sidney Crosby went God mode. And frankly, if he didn't get hurt in game five, that series probably would have ended a lot earlier. Um, you got to be able to shut down the other team's best players, whether that's through shutdown defensemen, whether that's through shutdown forwards, whatever it is. That's the, the thing the Rangers are missing, to me at least. So, But it's a little bit of both. Yep. It's definitely a little bit of both. The shutdown line is the big one here for me. Um, the other thing is I'm hoping they learned that they need to have, like Becky said, a killer instinct and put their foot on their yeah. opponent's throat. They let teams back into games too much. They let Tampa back into the series. It could have been 3 nothing, But, yeah, they they were gassed. So I'm actually at a point where even if they won game three, I still think they lose in seven. I'd rather yeah, go up 2 nothing and lose in six than go up 3 nothing and lose in seven. Yeah. Oy. Um, yeah. I still think they lose the series regardless. Um, conditioning is a big one. But... All of this is good to come back from 3-1, to beat the best in the East in Carolina, and then to lose in heartbreaking fashion. That's the trifecta of playoff experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they fill the holes properly, and that's on Drury. They get better buy-in, and they get better coaching, because that's something we haven't talked about, is Gallant really fucked up these playoffs. Uh, or I shouldn't, time, say, I shouldn't yeah. say fucked up. I'm yeah, going to walk mean, that think... back. I'm going to walk that back. He yeah. definitely has some areas that he needs to improve on. Yes, absolutely agree. Hard agree. Yeah. 
he got he got out coached tactically. I think in all three series. All three series got tactically out coached. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it was badly, and I think he, he adjusted in Carolina, which was the reason they came back from 2-0 down. In and in Pittsburgh, he adjusted. In Pittsburgh, he adjusted yep. too. But it's not yeah, – people but, expect monumental adjustments, but he made small ones, but he was outcoached. Yeah. yeah. But but Cooper, I think – I mean, Cooper even said, like, the book was out on the Rangers by about eight minutes into game two, and that's when he said, like, once my team got its legs, I knew we were going to be fine. Like mm-hmm. – I think Tampa knew exactly what the Rangers were doing. They knew exactly how to stop it, and that was that was it. So, yeah. can I mean, you elaborate on that? I missed that quote. What did he say? So he just said, he said at the eight minute mark of the second period, he was right in the middle of game two. I think you know the Rangers had been all over them to that point. I think Tampa started turning the tide. They stopped giving up so many seam plays and rush chances. Um, I think that's all he was saying was that basically like we started doing what what we needed to do. Um, defensively. And I think he knew that once that was the case and he could shut down, especially the top six at five on five, his team would be the better team five on five from there on in. And, you know, I mean, the Rangers didn't get any luck with the whistle either in that series. That's a, you know, and we're not a whiny, uh, petty fan base. So we haven't talked about that that much, but they didn't get any calls. And that definitely hurt them because the power play came to the rescue time and again this year. And that was not the case in the Tampa series. But I think that's all he meant was that, you know, he... He knew what the Rangers were doing, and it was just a matter of we need to stop letting them do it. And his team got their legs after the long layoff and were able to slow the Rangers down, you know, from about the middle of game two through the end of the series. Yep. All right, final question, and this is a fun one, and it's John Cougar, Colleen Camp, Built to Spill, our favorite. Um, And this is going to be our last question until our next pod, which is not for a little bit, so it's – what is each member of the kid line doing over the summer? Wrong answers only. <laughs> oh, God. I think Kako's cosplaying as Ivan Drago. I'm yes. Yes. Um, Lafreniere is playing Mario Bros. For sure. <laughs> and Hedel is going on many romantic dates. I think that's, that's what I've got. You guys remember saying... that, that they said he's like the most romantic one. On like one of the like step behind the mic, whatever step on behind the mic like ten years ago, but with the Ryan's something with, with the, the Ryan, Ryan, whatever. It yeah, was. everyone yeah. said for Valentine's Day he's like the the most romantic. So, all right, uh, Kako is converting to Judaism. <laughs> um, Lafreniere is going to Clown College. Okay. Following Krusty the Clown, Clown College, by the way. And Heedle is taking a starring role in the remake of Beetlejuice. Heedle. <laughs> Heedlejuice. I like that. I uh, figure one I out of three s- wouldn't be bad. I think that uh, Lafreniere is... Um, Signing up for and dominating ping pong tournaments. I think he's like the best ping pong player on the team. Um, and he's just going to go on like a ping pong circuit throughout Quebec and Canada. Taco um, <laughs> is. Love on, on ESPN playing ping pong. ESPN, yes. the Ocho. The Ocho. Kako <laughs> is. Kako uh, is opening a gluten free pizza chain in Finland. <laughs> okay. 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 Uh, 
looking out for his fellow diabetics and, and, you know, uh, celiac disease um, sufferers. Um, I'm not making light of that, by the way, uh, of course. But yeah, gluten-free pizza chain. He's, and he, and he's, he's given Chris Drury a call because Drury has a pizza place as well. So, you know, there, he'll be able to get a little bit of intel from, you know, how do you, how do you open and, and maintain a successful pizza restaurant? Well, in um, all fairness, from anybody, from the Ranger fans that live in Connecticut that have gone there, they said the pizza's awful there. And it yeah, only I stays open because too. Drury is the owner. Yeah. Well, maybe I, he's not I'm calling not Drury. I'm not surprised by but, this. You know. uh, and then Heedle. Heedle. Heedle's the hard one. He does a hard one, yeah. I, I'm going to say that he's um, he's learning how to play a musical instrument. Oh, I like that. Is it a Let's wind say, instrument? You think, or yeah, like the um, like the tenor saxophone. Wow, very yeah. specific. I like that. <coughs> very specific. Yeah. Not a bad. Yeah, he's going to play sax. the tenor saxophone. Well, the alto sax is like, you know, that's the one that every like elementary school kid plays because it's the smallest, but it sounds like a duck. It's a terrible <laughs> instrument. Like no real musician plays the alto sax. The tenor sax um, is the real one. And I mean, Kenny G, like, and, and I know Leroy Moore, the late Leroy Moore from Dave Matthews Band played a lot of soprano sax, which can be very nice. Leroy Moore played a, everything because there's yes. a lot of baritone sax there. He just, yes. oh God, he was so good. But May very little. In peace. What a guy. Yeah. Yes. Wait, yeah. is a But very little alto. I mean, very a, little alto sax. Is a saxophone a reed instrument? Yes. Yes, it is. That's disgusting. Yeah, it's a reed instrument. So, but yeah, so Philip Heal is going to play the saxophone, the tenor saxophone. And he's going to come, he's going to be on one of those YouTube videos in the in the early part of the year playing the sax to. I don't know ba- Baker Street maybe by Jerry. Oh, Rafferty. you know what he's gonna do? He he's gonna learn the old school Rangers intro, and the Rangers oh, are yeah. gonna create a video of him playing the saxophone split screen with yes. the new intro. I love that. That's is, exactly what's is, gonna happen. Is Brancy our future? Yes, Amarante. Yo, Brancy's awesome. Brancy's awesome. He's and his name is John, John, right? Yeah, John and John. There you go. Yep, some symmetry there. I mean, the guy's a very gifted singer, and we are blessed considering the level of talent from the other people we've played who will be unnamed Tampa Bay. <laughs> At least I know they she didn't has a great a story, but like, horn. that's all I'm going to say. Hit the notes. My God. Yeah. I will also, um, I do want to say before we kind of sign off, because we're all done with the questions here, but um, MSG did the right thing by bringing back Bob O'Reilly. Oh, my God. And that is all I will say about that. The atmosphere was incredible. And the players, Kreider especially, who lived through the playoff runs from 12 and 14, 15, said it was a completely other level this year. I mean, it was just, it was absolutely chaos in that building for every game. So, Welcome to the jungle. Yeah, uh, it was awesome. Um, and I think that will remain the case. I think this fan base is hungrier than ever for a championship. So can't wait for it to get started again. Yeah, quick, quick housekeeping notes before we sign off. So... This is pretty much the last pod of the season. Now, what that means for us is we're going to take about a month off. We're going to come back in mid-July after free agency. So I believe free agency, the first day of free agency is July 13th. So we'll come back sometime in the middle of July to recap what happened in free agency. Obviously, a lot of uh, chips will start falling into place there. Um, And then we'll probably start doing shows every other week leading up to the beginning of the season. So um, we may do some Twitter spaces, you know, stuff around the draft. You know, there's... 
we have ideas for for content, but also, you know, we're going to, I think like the Rangers, we need a little bit of a break. We're going to let this thing breathe and we're going to come back with fresh eyes and fresh minds um, as we look forward to the, sounds weird to say it, but the 2022-2023 hockey season. Um, Dave, Becky, any final thoughts from you guys before we uh, say farewell one last time to our audience this season? I just want to say it was an incredibly fun season. It was really fun to say kind of like fuck the haters and and fuck the numbers and we're going on vibes and friendship and everything and I know that they didn't win in the end and so I guess that like you know they they didn't win and they needed other I don't know whatever but like many of us have said we've said throughout this podcast we've said throughout the season people have said in the fan questions and everything this has been an incredibly fun team to watch it's been an honor and a privilege to be able to chat about it with you guys. I think it's just been really kind of therapeutic at times. And I have no doubt that we'll be back here playing into June. So um, I hope the guys have a, a really good summer to rest and do what they need to do and heal up. And we get to watch Ranger hockey in like less than four months. So think about that, like regular season Ranger hockey in about, if not less than four months. So that's amazing. I just want to say thank you to everybody that listens, reads, follows uh, our patrons of the Patreon, uh, the blog Patreon. Um, You guys are why we do this. And it's been a rough five years with basically nothing to look forward to. So thank you all. And we're looking forward to chatting with you in the offseason and next season. Yeah, and I also just want to thank the rest of our Blue Seat Blogs colleagues, you know, a few of which came on the show, um, but are always, uh, you know, uh, are always chatting with us, listening, obviously contributing to the blog. Um, just a great group of guys and, and girls that, you know, that we can chat with throughout the year. Um, and yeah, obviously everybody who listens to the pod sends in questions. We know the audience has grown throughout the year, which is awesome to see. And um, we're just so excited to do it again next year. So, again, check in in about a month. It'll be in the same podcast feed and spaces that, that, that we've been. Um, obviously, follow the, uh, the amazing Twitter account at Blue Seats Live you know, for, for updates. And we'll be tweeting throughout the offseason. Obviously, there's plenty of news and, and plenty, will be plenty more to discuss as the summer progresses. But uh, already looking forward to October. Uh, and another season, another chance for the Rangers to uh, grab that elusive Stanley Cup. So, you know, with that said, thanks so much for listening, and we'll we'll talk to you guys again soon.